Hello, and welcome to Objective Health. I am your co-host, Doug, and with me are my fellow co-hosts, Elliot and Erica. Hello. And in the background, on the ones and twos, keeping it real, is Damien. Hello. So today we are doing yet another version, uh, edition of In the News, uh, where we take a look at kind of the latest health headlines that are going around and give you our take on it. So, the Daily Skeptic, one of our favorites here at Objective Health, uh, put out an article um, on August 12th. One in three vaccinated teenagers suffers cardiovascular side effects. One in 43 suffer heart inflammation. Study. So it's basically about a study that came out of Thailand where they were um, looking at teenagers between the age of 13 and 18. Um, it's a preprint, so it hasn't actually been peer-reviewed yet, but their findings are quite telling. They found that one in 43 was experiencing some sort of cardiovascular effect. 29.24% um, of uh, participants. And those effects could be tachycardia, palpitation, and in one participant, myopericarditis. Um, two participants had suspected pericarditis and four participants had suspected subclinical myocarditis. The most common cardiovascular effects were tachycardia, shortness of breath, palpitation, chest pain, and hypertension. So, one in 43. That's um, quite a high number and quite different from the kind of uh, more publicized um, articles that are coming out, like the, the claims that are made in other studies and things like that. So um, I thought it was interesting because it is a Thai study and maybe not, I mean, this might be completely wrong, but I, I would think maybe not, like a little bit more independent than maybe some of the ones that come out of uh, the West, North America, Europe those sorts of places, um, they might be kind of a little more out of the reach of the big hand of big pharma. Um, yeah. But if I remember correctly too, Thailand had some pretty extreme mandates and closing of their borders for the unvaccinated. And if I remember correctly, it was either Thailand or Vietnam. So they were pretty, you know, radical in their approach to it all mm -hmm. as far as letting uh, especially people from outside the country in without you know the required medical intervention so yeah yeah many countries in southeast asia did take a, a very hardline approach particularly the philippines as well if i remember correctly um there was yeah it was pretty pretty intensive the kind of restrictions that they implemented uh what's interesting in this study is they say, I actually read the study. So they say at the end of it, as part of the conclusion, the clinical presentation of myopericarditis after vaccination was usually mild with all cases fully recovering after 14 days. Now, this particular statement, is this a statement of fact? Well, there are some cardiologists who would say that there is no such thing as mild pericarditis or mild myocarditis there's no such thing because during a significant inflammatory event of the uh the myocardium or the pericardium basically the the sac which holds the heart the the tissue surrounding the heart and the muscles of the heart um there's good reason to 
to think that actually after a significant inflammatory event, there is damage to that region, which is somewhat permanent, right? And there are, I say, there's numerous cardiologists with whom this is their speciality and they are very familiar with the research. This is their entire, uh, you know, professional focus saying that there is no such thing as mild pericarditis or mild myocarditis and this is permanent so i would say that the effects of this study it's i mean first of all it's fascinating because if you um you apply that to a wider population well we're not dealing with just a hundred subjects you know if you look in the western world and the amount of adolescents that have that have received the vaccination we're talking millions now even just one in 43 translates to 100 individuals uh, per every 4,300. If you go up to 4.3 million, well, that's um, 10,000, right? And there are there are reasons to believe, at least if we follow some experts' analysis on this situation, that if you know children or adolescents suffer from myopericarditis, that is very likely going to have long-term consequences on their health and likely their lifespan. You have these kind of conditions affecting the heart at a very early age. The chances are the heart is going to suffer kind of some kind of permanent damage and is going to be dysfunctional almost certainly within later life. So whether this has effects on them when they're in their prime or whether it's whether it affects them as they move towards older age, this is without doubt going to be placing a burden on the health. So we're talking thousands, if not millions of children, I mean, adolescents, worldwide definitely in the millions worldwide who who are going to be experiencing uh, long-term detrimental heart consequences because of this vaccination all for a condition or all for an infection which would likely or which could be attributed to uh, basically a similar condition to the flu right it's preposterous what's well, happened actually interestingly um there's uh several paragraphs into the into the, the uh, article here, the guy actually really kind of cuts up the study um, because not the study itself, mind you, just what they what they try and because they, they try and put some spin in it, you know, like they do this a lot in studies, right? They they have some finding that's kind of controversial and then they really try and walk it back. And I'll just read you this paragraph here. It says one oddity is that study claims that the incidence of cardiac injury or myocarditis following COVID infection is quote much higher estimated to be 100 times higher than mrna covid 19 vac vaccine related myocarditis so just to say that again is basically what they're saying is that cardiac uh, myocarditis following a covid infection is 100 times higher than the one uh, coming from the vaccination uh, it's hard to know what to make of this how can the risk following infection be 100 times higher than one in three or one in 43? It's not possible. The study gives two references for the claim, but one is a study from 2013, so obviously that's useless, and the other looks only at myocarditis in those who have died and gives no indication of rates. Furthermore, a large Scandinavian study found the risk of severe myocarditis following COVID infection was negligible, with only around one excess event per 100,000 within 28 days of infection and a confidence interval that included zero. The risk the study found following vaccination was considerably higher than this. In addition, we should note vaccination does not reliably prevent infection, so any risks are likely cumulative. In other words, if you were getting 
if you did catch COVID and then you went and got a vaccine, then you're doubling up on your myocarditis risk. So I just wanted to point it out because basically it's, it's, it, it's, it's kind of typical of these studies where they try and make these claims like, oh yeah, you know, although we found this, uh, this um, problem with the vaccine, it actually, you know, COVID is worse. So the vaccine is actually better to get. But the guy just takes it apart in two seconds. So they left, they gave two references that have nothing to do with that claim. So they're making a claim out of nowhere. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it's entirely disingenuous and manipulative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a lot of the times it's to maintain their reputation among the scientific community so that they can continue getting funded. Mm-hmm. You know, because ultimately what we've seen with this COVID scenario is that researchers, scientists who have the best intentions and who want to stick to the scientific method have essentially been blacklisted, right? And so anyone who basically speaks the truth is then labeled a kind of COVID conspiracy conspiracy theorist. And, 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 um, and I think it probably detrimentally affects their professional career moving forward, you know? So I think it, the problem is, is, is with the kind of, uh how would you call it the kind of scientific cancel culture because it does exist in science and i think it's very pronounced in science although it's more implicit rather than explicit is that we do have this underlying current of um of of having to essentially toe the line uh to be able to maintain one scientific uh reputation and to be able to continue to get funding whatever it is i'm not sure who funded this study but um it's very unfortunate to see even one in 43, and there's reason to think that it might even be higher than that, one in 43 is absolutely massive. Well, moving on here, there was a another article we looked at on LifeSite. Government database reveals 10,000% increase in cancer reports due to COVID vaccines. That's quite shocking. Um, basically, what they did, it was a guy who can't remember which site he's from health impact news um basically looked at um the VAERS database um and it kind of goes through in the article like how he kind of went about it, what his methodology was but he basically looked at um all the um cancers that had been reported following COVID 19 vaccines and he found about 837 cases of cancer including 88 deaths 66 permanent disabilities and 104 life-threatening events um using the exact same terms he looked at all fda approved vaccines for the previous 30 years and he only found 140 cases of cancer reported so uh, 837 cases of cancer from COVID vaccines versus 140 cases from all previous vaccines over the last 30 years. Um, so when you break that down, what that basically means is it's a 10,661.4% increase in cancers, specifically yeah. from the COVID vaccine. Now, I mean, and this is using the VARES database, right? I mean, we know that the VARES database is like usually accounts for about what was it like 10% or 5% or something like that yeah. of what, what the actual it's nothing, right? Cause most of it's not getting reported. Right. And you, you put on top of that, the idea that most people who come down with cancer, if, if you, somebody in your family or, or a friend of yours or something like that came down with cancer tomorrow, how likely is it that they're going to tie it to the vaccine? Right. Maybe if they're, they're a skeptical person, right. Um, and they're already kind of aware that, oh, there's some funny business going on with these vaccines. But the average person is not going to think, 
I wonder if this is from the vaccine, you know, for anything they get, an autoimmune immune condition or, or, or anything, anything that pops up. Um, then they're not. And, and just to quickly interject here is that me and several others, you know, within my personal circle have had situations, whether it's with family or friends mm-hmm. of individuals who've come down with a very serious condition. Sometimes it's been somewhat benign, whether it's, I don't know, a strange skin condition or conjunctivitis or boils or something of that sort, but then also other more serious life-threatening conditions shortly after vaccination or the health condition has progressively gotten significantly worse after having vaccination. And what we've seen consistently, almost consistently, is that those individuals, if they are not looking for, you know, if they're not aware that vaccine injury can kind of account for the health condition that they're, that they, that they, that they get, that they develop, then they're not going to put two and two together. And, And so I think it's probably so common so common that people are not uh, linking linking the two together or if they do they go to their doctor and the doctor says no there's no, no identifiable cause yeah. um this has just happened you likely have developed this for various reasons and you would have probably gotten this anyway yeah. so really we're looking at the tip of the iceberg here and in the U.S. too, if you're currently undergoing radiation or chemotherapy treatment, you're not allowed to receive treatment if you're not fully vaccinated. You know what I mean? So you're just pouring gasoline on the fire. Yeah. 100%. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Well, there's another article actually that's quite shocking. Um, it was on a substack, atana.substack.com. Um, called clown world honk um yeah good name um and the name of the article is just turbo cancer and the article basically goes into a doctor um dr ute kruger uh she's a researcher and senior physician at lunds university in sweden uh former chief of pathology worked in the field for 25 years uh, with a specialty in breast cancer diagnosis for the past 18 years, studied thousands of autopsy breast cancer. Anyway, she's a very um, qualified individual. And she's kind of sounding the alarm about what something that she's calls, calling turbo cancer. And basically what she's saying is there are more, more aggressive tumors um, showing up in larger sizes and numbers quicker um, the three points she, uh, sorry, four points she talks about is age. And she says the average ages of the samples she's received dropped with a rise in the number of samples from people in their 30s to 50s. Um, size is the the other category. And she says it is, it is unusual for Dr. Kruger to find a tumor three centimeters in size. In this new environment, she's regularly, rare, excuse me, regularly seeing tumors of four centimeters, eight centimeters, 10 centimeters, and the occasional 12 centimeter. In a shocking anecdote, two weeks ago, she found a 16 centimeter tumor that took up an entire breast. Uh, another category she's seeing more of is multiple tumors. Dr. Kruger has been has begun to see more cases of multiple tumors growing in the same patient, sometimes even in both breasts. She had three cases within three weeks of patients who had tumors growing in multiple organs. One had tumors in his or her breast, pancreas, and lungs within months of getting vaccinated. The other category, she says, is recurrence. There's been an uptick in patients who have been in remission from their cancer for many years, suddenly getting an aggressive recurrence of their cancer shortly after vaccination. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's very damning. Um, there was a doctor, Ryan Cole, mm-hmm. who was talking about this back in January. I think we even spoke about this on the show. He was talking about a massive increase in endometrial cancers, uh, like 20 times increase, um, increase in all kinds of cancers. And, and we've seen actually several doctors who've said the same thing. It's interesting, Dr. Kruger, um, what she is discussing, because she actually performs autopsies as well. Um, And she's been discussing the limitations of the ordinary autopsy to detect vaccine-induced injuries. And I think this is particularly interesting Um, because what she's saying is that essentially the way that they, if you have a, a standard autopsy done, and she gives several anecdotes where there, for instance, in one case, there was a family who suspected that um, the their, their family member had died due to vaccine injury. But the ordinary autopsy, the analysis that they performed, uh, didn't show any evidence of that. Well, her criticism was that they were not looking at the specific effects of the vaccine. They, they were not digging deep enough, essentially. So the vascular inflammatory markers, the spike protein, the inflammatory kind of... Um, uh infiltration into the cells they only look at very specific things and it's not they don't go deep enough so what she was saying was well actually in certain cases what she's done is she's she she has done the autopsy she's run very extensive testing and she's found characteristic evidence of vaccine associated death or the vaccine associated injury uh particularly when it comes to the covid vaccine you're looking at things like vasculitis and inflammation of the the capillaries in the vascular system which is what the spike protein does um ironically there were people who were warning about this before the vaccine even came out right so this isn't like shocking by any means i mean it is a somewhat shocking article because i mean it's 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 brutal just to read of the accounts uh to see that's going on but i can't say that it's nothing that we didn't already expect because there were people who were documenting this and talking about this. There have been for a very long time. Um, but what she discusses is that she's seeing certain things show up, um, which she's never seen before. For instance, she saw um, a case of, um, what was it? Yeah, so she found a hemorrhage in the spinal cord near the neck, which she's never seen before. Under the microscope, she saw inflammation in the blood vessels that caused the rupture and caused bleeding. And this was in an 80-year-old woman who be- who became paralyzed one month after vaccination. So aside from seeing the cancers, which are rapidly kind of growing, which she refers to as turbo cancers, um, she's seeing all kinds of weird vasculitis and weird vascular rupture, which previously would not be seen before. And you look at the effects of the spike protein or the artificial spike protein, which is generated by the mRNA vaccines, what that does to the vascular system and what that does to the cells. Well, you put two and two together and it's fairly obvious that this is a vaccine injury, but it's not being picked up because the people, the pathologists who are doing autopsy simply don't have the tools or they're not aware of the tools to be able to identify it. Yeah. There was another article, actually, that kind of did a bit of a roundup. Um, it was on another substack by Steve Kirsch, and it was called Cancers You're Coming... Sorry, Cancers Coming Back with a Vengeance is Very Common After the COVID Vax. And he covers Utke Kruger, um, who we were talking about in this previous article. Actually, actually also talks about um, Ryan Cole, 
Um, and Ryan Cole apparently um, seems to be of the opinion that in a lot of cases, this is actually existing cancers that are getting kind of a, a boost. You know, they're not necessarily new cancers. It might be in a situation where a person didn't know that they had cancer, or it might have been a cancer that might have resolved on its own without the person ever being aware of it. You know, your body can kind of take care of these things sometimes. Um, but it, it seems that the vaccine is doing something that's like turbocharging these cancers. Um, so it might it might not be that the vaccine gives you cancer, but it's just if you got it, it's going to like you, she was like iterating in the last article about people who had been in remission for a long time. And all of a sudden, it comes back with a vengeance. Um, anyway, it's an interesting article because he does, you know, he, he you know, posts a couple of tweets of all these pieces from people saying, oh, yeah, I know this person who has super aggressive cancer. Oh, my mom just died of this super aggressive cancer. And it seems to be um, the one thing that he mentions here is that the DMED database shows a rate of cancer is up three times after COVID vaccines rolled out. Um and, and there is, oh yeah, in uh, something called the various X factor analysis showed the colon cancer report rates are up 65 times normal. Anyway, sorry, go ahead, uh, Erica. Oh, I was just going to say too, I'm wondering, because like Elliot was sharing, I, I have several people around me have developed very rapid cancers. One recently died as a result and they were in that 30 to 50 age range. One thing I noticed about these three particular people was that they all had been vaxxed and then they got COVID and became severely ill, mm. you know? So I'm wondering if the vaccine, in addition to actually contracting the illness too, kind of turbocharges it as well. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm just, it's just very, um, as Elliot was saying, when you see people that are going through this and none of them put the vaccine into the question at all, they had no thought of it. Like, oh, it's just so random that this happened and, and, and they're dying essentially, like, uh, you know, um, with a very, very poor prognosis of an outcome for sure. But I'm wondering if there's something about getting the vax and then actually contracting COVID or whatever, COVID is now and just accelerating it even quicker, like a, an additional dose of the spike protein. I don't know, but it just seems, you know, usually to watch somebody get sick and die in three months is pretty rare, you know, especially in that age range. Like, yes, if you're 70, 80, 90, that not so much, but we're talking about, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old males that are healthy and fit. And you know what I mean? To, just go down so rapidly it, it really is for me the canary in the coal mine so to speak you know like there's something definitely going on here and you know but it's like almost like people don't want to deal with it and and you, you almost don't want to say anything when somebody's fighting for their life well hey maybe you shouldn't have got that vaccine you know i mean that's kind of i feel a little bit heartless to do in the moment you know could have should have would have but it, it's pretty concerning if you're just observing it you know and and that's not even to say like the previous articles about all these young children, like what does that say about the future of the human race, like the uh, disabled, incapacitated youth uh, in 20 to 30 years, you know, it's pretty alarming. I mean, it's really alarming, really alarming, actually. So. Yeah, indeed. And um, 
I think the problem is as well on the topic of vaccine injury, like you mentioned, seeing this kind of rapid decline, I think the the or part of the issue arises when people assume the vaccines can only cause immediate effects, you know, like within a day or two. So for instance, they get the vaccine and then all of a sudden they have severe body pain, they have, you know, they have to go into hospital, they have some kind of very you know, acute condition from the vaccination. Whereas what we're saying and what the evidence seems to suggest is that actually what can go on underneath the surface can be somewhat insidious and in that you can have certain processes which begin to occur. Or let's say if someone say did have a, a very mild form of cancer, which is quite common, right? Lots of people have mild forms of cancer, which relatively quickly resolve themselves anyway so uh, in that particular kind of situation if someone is susceptible then uh, the vaccine can trigger a, a set of events which might only begin to manifest two or three months down the line and the chances of them identifying that as a vaccine reaction i mean it's it's frankly it's unlikely but also i mean think how difficult it is to do that i mean it's frankly impossible like, how can you categorically say that something is because of the vaccine? Now, I'm not saying that it's not because of the vaccine, but what I'm saying is because of the inherent difficulties with identifying it as the sole cause of the health problem, it means that the likelihood of people actually seeing and acknowledging the vaccine causing the health problem is so low to begin with um, that even if you've got a vaccine I guess what I'm trying to say is that if the vaccine doesn't cause sudden death, then the chances are there's going to be numerous which go numerous vaccine um, vaccine reactions which go missed. You know, people don't identify them, and I think that's just 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 a, a natural consequence of things. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, and that re that really plays out in the favor of big pharma. Because we yeah, know that they're already indemnified for any wrongdoing and they don't have to provide any sort of support for people being injured by their product. And, uh, you know, it's, it's Russian roulette. It's a gamble at this point. You know, I mean, if your doctor informed you like, hey, well, by the way, there's a chance that this could happen. Most people are going to say, eh, no, thank you. I'll wait till uh, the science is a little bit more settled on that product. I mean, any consumer would do that with anything. So uh, it kind of works in their favor. Yeah, it always does. You know this? Right. Well, in other news, the CDC has just eased COVID guidelines, saying the virus is here to stay. So the CDC has decided to catch up with um, what objective health. Saying. Yeah, objective <laughs> health. That's what it is. They finally caught up on our shows and said, "Oh, we're doing the wrong things." Yeah, no, but what we and you know many people have been saying over the past two years or something like that. It just seems like for some reason, finally, they decided to uh, agree. <laughs> With everyone. So basically, they have um, dropped quarantine pe uh, quarantine periods for unvaccinated people who have been exposed to the virus. Um, what else have they done? Um, 
you can still go to work. Like that's kind of what I got out of it all. Like, yeah. you know, that you could you could just do what you're gonna do, you know, it's not really that bad. But uh, you know, they're backing they're backing up on like the it's gonna kill yeah. everyone. Yeah, they said they um they've lifted measures recommending that students exposed to some positive um to someone positive for the virus must quarantine. So they've gotten rid of that. Um they're not testing asymptomatic cases um uh anyway all this to say they're basically like loosening up on a lot of the things so yeah welcome welcome to 2022 cdc nice to have you here. i love it in, i love it in there where they say for those that do test positive cdc recommends that you stay home for at least five days and wear a high quality mask if you're around others in your home <laughs> like like basically it's gone back to this is the flu yeah we're just gonna default to yeah Mm. it's like you know if if you do contract it stay home for five days it's like yeah thanks that's what i do when i have the flu too thanks thanks (laughs) cdc good i've got you uh got you there yeah well, well, again, real world scenario. I work with the over 60 population. Every single one of them has been vaccinated and boosted. Every single one of them has COVID. Not once, not twice, but sometimes now three times. And it's like a, it's like a clown show. It really is. Like, I don't know how I got it again. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. it really is. It's, 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 it's almost exclusively people who are vaxxed now who are getting it. I mean, you know, there's also a lot more vaxxed people out there than there are unvaxxed, but it still is quite striking that it seems like the the vaxxed population are the ones who keep on coming down with COVID over and over and over again. And they keep on saying things like, oh, if I didn't have the vaccine, it'd be much worse. And it's like, I'm over here like, I've never had it, man. Like, I, know, I don't too. know. Like, <laughs> you tell me. Yeah, I remember even back like um, long before COVID, uh, a friend of mine said to me one time, he's like, you ever notice how it's like the people who get the flu shots every year are the ones who are always getting the flu? And I was like, yeah, that's actually true. Well, still going on. Or us super spreaders that are unvaccinated that are around all these people that have had COVID one, two, and three times and don't get sick at all. Like not even, you know what I mean? Not even like a cold or a flu, you know, it's, yeah. you know, your innate immune system is very uh, reliable. Yeah. <laughs> these times. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's delicate because, you know, right. as we've talked about on the show before, we showed um, the evidence for tanking immune systems after, after vaccinations. So, I mean, it's not really surprising. I mean, that, that could explain why you're seeing these turbo cancers and things like that as well. It's like, if, if you're you're undergoing a uh, experimental therapy that tends to tank your immune system, you're going to see all kinds of stuff like this. You're going to see repeated COVID infections, but you're also going to see things like cancers, autoimmune conditions, all kinds of stuff. So, well, finally, um, well, Elliot, you found this one. Why don't you tell us about it? And Damien, maybe you could pull up that graphic that was... Uh, the, from the CDC was like a, that's the one. Uh, yeah. So it turns out that some people on, I actually found this via Twitter. So this wasn't, I don't know if there's been any articles written about it, but, um, but on Twitter, uh, CDC was trending for a couple of days and actually quite recently. So there's some, in you know, 
citizen journalists or in- investigators who have been tracking the CDC website and their recommendations on vaccines. And um, shortly after the CDC dropped their um, their restrictions on vaccines or restrictions on people who have COVID, let's say they've they've kind of like uh, eased eased everything off, like we've just been talking about. Uh, it turns out that what they also did on the uh, on July twenty second to twenty third, look at the image, you see that they remove one of the key claims, which is supposedly there to uh, to provide confidence to people who are vaccine recipients and to counter medical misinformation, right? Because this is what they've been telling us all along: is that many of the claims of the vaccine coming from the alternative community you know, the alternative news is actually misinformation. One of those claims is that the uh, the vaccine or the spike protein, um, which is generated by the cells in response to the vaccine, stays in the body for a certain period of time. Now, they originally said that that was medical misinformation. They said, no, the spike, pro- the spike protein is only generated in the arm at the, site of in, at the site of vaccination and it elicits a very mild immune response and it tells your body to make antibodies against it and that's how it works whereas we were talking about this several months ago like multiple months ago it was you know it blew up in the alternative kind of uh truth movement let's say or the the anti-covid movement that there was research which showed that the spike protein or something very similar to the spike protein remained in the bodies of the animals which were studied for a very long time now there was this was identified in animal research and i'm pretty sure that it was identified in human research as well so they found the spike protein uh accumulated in the organs we were talking about this we've done multiple shows on it it was accumulating in the ovaries which would could have potentially account for the miscarriages which we've seen which have increased in number it was accumulating in the adrenal glands and many of the internal organs and this was potentially something that we thought anyway and others thought might be uh leading to a situation where someone could develop some kind of a cancer or an autoimmune condition against that particular organ anyway so this was classed as medical misinformation it was said to be uh you know said to be false said to be fear-mongering um on the part of conspiracy theorists well what we actually see is that the cdc have now removed the claim that uh that it doesn't stick in the body so basically it seems as though there is now enough evidence according to the cdc that they can no longer deny what we already knew was true uh which various studies already showed but I guess to some extent they want to remain or they they uh, they want to save face. I'm not sure why it is that they've removed that. Um, maybe legal. for liability purposes. Yeah, 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 liability legal purposes, I'm guessing. But it's gotten to the point now where it's so clear that the spike protein, which is highly inflammatory and which is a strong antigen, meaning that it elicits a very strong immune response, sticks around the body for days if not months if not potentially years in the human body and this can account for what we've basically been talking about on the show which is that people who are vaccinated with uh vaccines which cause the body to generate this spike protein generally tend towards getting very serious conditions whether it's cancer whether it's autoimmune conditions whether it's inflammatory conditions 
so again, I mean, it's it's perfectly logical. It makes a lot of sense as to uh, why these things are happening. It can be put, I think, primarily down to the fact that spike protein is being expressed. It's being it's traveling around the body. It's being expressed in multiple different tissues, and it's staying for many months. Hence, you know, the concept that someone may get a vaccine and then three months later, they develop a cancer or three months later, they develop a very severe autoimmune condition or heart disease or whatever it is. So it really opens up the whole kind of con. I guess what it does is it is it means that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, is that a vaccine reaction could potentially account for any health condition which occurs or which suddenly comes on you know, up to a year, if not even longer after having vaccination. That means that we could be seeing conditions pop up over multiple years. I mean, if you look at Judy Mikovits, or you look at Terry Shempenny, uh, if that's her name, Terry. Sherry, Sherry Tenpenny. <laughs> Terry Shempenny. You got it really close. <laughs> Terry Shempenny. Very close. Right. I switched them around. Uh, no, but I mean, they those, those, and I think Stephanie Seneff is, as well, is also kind of put forth the hypothesis that we could be seeing uh, things get a lot worse you know at the five-year mark so we might not have even seen the tip of the iceberg at the moment we don't know uh so it could continue to get worse it might improve i'm not sure either way uh it's useful because what we see is the cdc are backtracking and they're not publicly said anything about this no no they've not said oh well actually yeah it does they just remove the claim from their website, I guess, to cover their asses from a legal standpoint. Yeah. But uh, completely kind of uh, secretive in the way that they do it. And certainly not for the benefit of anyone's health, because most people have already been vaccinated. What we would like to see is that if these, you know, massive health agencies were not to make claims which were about safety and effectiveness <laughs> about safety and effectiveness which could be disproven you know yeah. not to make claims like that but they continue to do it they just continue to do it every single time so you have to anticipate that and expect that from these uh these very large health agencies it's very clear that they do not have they do not care about the health of the population at large and they've pulled this kind of thing before, too. I remember we were talking on the show about them changing the, I think it was the definition of vaccine. They changed mm -hmm. that at one point so that it could. And uh, pandemic. And pandemic. The definition right? of pandemic. Right. Yeah. So they're pulling this kind of thing all the time. And it's always just, they just change it on the webpage. I mean, there must be people out there who are, are kind of taking constant snapshots of, uh, of uh, the CDC webpage and the WHO and probably all of them. Um, just to be able to catch these changes, you know? Anyway, it's a good thing that those people are out here. Well, before all this, we knew that they were kind of a defunct organization anyway, and they were mm -hmm. probably going to be disbanded. So uh, they're desperate at this point. You know, they had to have something to legitimize their existence and to continue to get funding, at least in the U.S., right? So last-ditch effort. Yeah. Well, I think that is our show for today. Um, thanks for joining us today. Be sure to share, like, and subscribe. Um, and be sure to check us out on the next one as well. Uh, we will have another exciting health topic next week. See you later, everybody. Bye.